When we talk about money, a lot of、uh, feelings can come bubbling up to the surface. What are we supposed to do with those? Well, today we've got an episode for you. Keep listening to the Catholic Money Show. It's my pleasure today to introduce to you our、uh, special guest for this episode. I've been looking forward to this interview、uh, since we got it put together. I am in. I'm looking very much looking forward to our discussion. I think you'll find it fruitful as well. We have on the show today the director of formation and operations for the Martin Center of Integration. He was formerly a youth minister, speaker, musician, and host of the This Whole Life podcast. Please welcome to the Catholic Money Show, Pat Millay. Hey, Jonathan, how you doing? It's good, man. I'm、uh, very happy to、uh, to get on this and and to chat with you a little bit. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. <laughs> sure thing. Sure thing.、Um, so you you host the This Whole Life podcast. I listened to an episode a little while ago. You'd mentioned your love for the Marvel Cinematic Universe right before I hit record. We talked. Maybe a little bit longer than we should have、uh, about that,、uh, but it's it's、uh, it's good to find another another fan、um, to to look into these things, to look at the yeah some pop culture things. I know there's a big crossover between our faith, between our life. Everything、uh, comes together with it. And today, I'd love、mm-hmm. to just chat a little bit about money. Uh, this is the Catholic Money Show, but I want to get your perspective. You help people.、Um, I guess. Well, guess, why don't you do it? Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the Martin Center for Integration and the work that you guys do there? Yeah. So my wife Kenna is a licensed marriage and family therapist here in Minnesota, where we live, and、uh, she and I both, her from a therapy side and me from a ministry side, have been identifying this kind of. Shortcoming in the way that people of faith approach mental health sometimes that maybe folks will either、um, dismiss mental health issues as being overblown or kind of contrived or created in our own minds, or they will be exaggerated to encompass everything. That everything comes down to mental health, and even for us good Christians, people of faith can sometimes even hyper spiritualize mental health、mm. issues and. Um, really good folks that that I have heard going through struggles have been told by very good natured and very well intentioned people of faith. Well, all you need to do is pray about it. Just go to adoration. You don't need a therapist. You need a good spiritual director, right? And to be clear, please go to adoration. Please go to confession. <laughs> a spiritual director is massively helpful, but maybe get a therapist too,、uh, and maybe medication is right for you. You know that. There are these very tangible human aids that God has put in our world to benefit our whole person, mind, body, and soul. So、uh, we came together, created the Martin Center for Integration to bring about、um, therapy resources for Catholics, speaking and training、uh, opportunities for groups, for parishes, for schools and dioceses around mental health issues, and then the podcast as well to get good information out there to anyone who wants to listen. Well, thank you. It sounds like very、uh, important and helpful work that you guys are doing.、But、let's dive into money. I know、uh, when Amanda and I were figuring out our finances, there were a lot of feelings. Even to this day,、uh, certain things about money right bring up different feelings. Right? If, if I 
Uh, and I know I am a I am a, a committed and self aware deal hound. I love a good sale. Uh, I know that about me. So I know right when I see that clearance section, I see that brightly colored sticker on a box. Like I know, okay, whew, I'm getting a little worked up right now. I'm getting some. Uh, <laughs> I don't, you know, some 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 brain chemicals are starting to squirt out, getting me feeling the dopamine all dopamine inspiring. Yep. Yeah, getting all just I'm on the dopamine train and I just need to be careful about where that's going to take me. Uh but I also know, right, there's other times when especially certainly especially uh in our past where, you know, things are really tight and there's a lot of cortisol now, a lot of stress uh in my system. And so uh there's a lot there's so many feelings when it comes uh to money. And a lot of times, like uh, like you're saying, right, we can jump into these these different sides of it, right? Like, oh, well, you know what? I'm just going to, we're just going to move on from that. We're not going to really go into that very much. Um, and I think certainly the the more uncomfortable ones, the stress and anxiety or the shame or the guilt, what yeah. is, uh, so, so today I want to just try to help um, our listeners, our, our viewers, figure out how do we get into those feelings, right? In the same way that like, not everything is a, is a, it's not all, you know, your parents' fault. Not everybody has these big daddy wounds, all this stuff, but there's probably something going on. So how do we mm-hmm. go into this in a, in a healthy, faithful, uh, and constructive way? I think the, the first key step is to acknowledge the, the right relationship with emotions as mm. people of faith, you know, um, like you said, there can be this tendency to to either diminish the clinical kind of uh, psychiatric term would be repress emotions if we don't like them, if they don't feel good to us. And there's also uh, an inclination sometimes, I would I would say maybe more so in the past you know, 10, 20 years I've seen, to let emotions hijack the train and just take us wherever they want, you know, to, to let emotions be the only determining factor. And there are all kinds of great, really theological understanding uh, understandings of emotion in scripture in our tradition um <laughs> all we have to know as catholics is if we ever feel like emotions are a bad thing uh it's stark for us that jesus himself wept at the tomb of lazarus who he then immediately raised from the dead so it wasn't <laughs> for fear that he was going to stay dead forever it was just the acknowledgement that when something we love is lost, grief is the appropriate emotional response. It's actually a valuable thing. Um, and you use some really good words that there are certainly some emotions that are uncomfortable. There are emotions that we don't enjoy, but mm. the emotions themselves are actually not morally good or evil. So the emotions don't uh, mean that we are sinning. We don't have to go to confession for emotions unless we intentionally foster certain desires, you know. The emotions themselves are really good information, actually. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's the system that God has put into our body with our the chemicals in our brain that you mentioned, or into our hearts, into the parts of our, our being that are not physical, to give us information about the world around us and how we are called to respond to that world. So, for example, um, if, if an individual or a couple is having a lot of feelings of anxiety about money mm-hmm. and they feel really stressed and overwhelmed, um, there's an amazing tool and resource that we use in all kinds of different areas called the feelings wheel that I can send to you later on, Jonathan, so you can share with the listeners that identifies these six core emotions. So these six very central base human emotions 
They are sad, mad, scared, peaceful, joyful, powerful. So these six core emotions at the center of this kind of concentric wheel. And again, the temptation is to identify those and say, well, there's clearly three bad ones and three good ones, right? Sad, mad, scared. Those are bad. No, no, no. They're not bad. They may feel unpleasant, but they're not evil, right? Um, and then as you move out to the, the edges of the wheel, there are lesser or nuanced expressions of those six core emotions. Mm -hmm. So for example, if I'm having a conversation with Kenna about money and I feel anxious, I can look at this feelings wheel and find anxious, and then I can trace it to its core emotion, which is scared. Mm -hmm. So anxious is a scared, fearful emotion. And uh, there's mm -hmm. a, a tool that goes with this wheel called the feelings as messengers idea. And it goes with this idea that emotions are information. Fear tells me that there is a threat in my life or there's a perceived threat. There's something mm -hmm. out there in the world that feels dangerous to me. So what I need is I need to find a place of safety and security in the midst of that threat or that perceived threat, you know? Mm -hmm. So in my conversation with Kenna, I may need to come to her and say, all right, listen, I'm feeling really anxious about this. I know that I'm afraid that if we do this, this, and this, that we're going to lose the house. Or if we, if we don't save enough, our kids won't go to college and they'll be doomed forever, which is, first of all, uh, uh, <laughs> catastrophic thinking. That's not what not going to college means for anyone, first of all. Uh, but helping to get beyond the, the content of the money itself and get down to that emotional level. You know, um, I specifically remember before we got married, there was one conversation that Kenna had with me where she sat me down on the couch and she was very, very serious and very, she, she presented to me as being afraid. What she, what she probably actually was, was more guilty and ashamed. Hmm. And she was basically going to lay out her financial situation with me as we were starting to discern marriage and kind of get further down the line, you know, and she was terrified because she was really ashamed of where she was financially. Now, the funny thing was, objectively, her financial situation was fine. She had a little debt, and I was afraid she was bracing me for like a $100,000 credit card you know, <laughs> debt or something like that. And it was fine. It was manageable. So it was easy for me to um, help her to see that clearly mm -hmm. and not let her emotions overwhelm her and tell her a story that was not accurate. You know? Mm. That's... Uh... That's fantastic. I, I've seen something, I think, uh, similar to that feeling wheel thing. And I guess, um, or, or s s the, the idea used, and maybe, I don't know if it was feelings or not. I guess when you said that, I thought it was very interesting that, because I guess I always thought, and maybe I was, this is the, the tool I was using for some other purpose. I'm trying, I can't bring it to my mind, but I guess I always envisioned like, oh, you'd start at one of those six and then you're going to go out. And maybe if there's a second level, level, I go out again and then I can find it. But what's very interesting and what was like, oh, when you said it is that you figure out kind of where you are, where you're feeling, and then you start moving inwards and mm -hmm. you find, mm -hmm. um, like the, the underlying feeling, right? Right. Uh, right. And then, oh yeah, when I'm anxious, yeah, it is. I'm, I'm worried about, I'm scared, I'm fearful of this threret, how, however realistic it might or might not be. 
in the in the future that will come our way. And so, um, right. yeah, just again, it's it's you know working into the the middle into the core, however you want to picture it, uh, to really find out what's going on. And I loved also um, you said to have a right relation with our emotions. So right. often, I I mean, I know for me too, uh, I. I can get hijacked. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I get so, you know, angry about something or I feel so bad about something or whatever it is. Um, and I think there's a, there's a, a real beauty in emotions and sometimes the way they can be overwhelming, especially, you know, with joy or um, maybe I think about this more after the fact, but even like, you know, s- great sadness and grief and just the, just the, I just find it wild just what our body can do and, and just crying is just weird and all that. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> but to just think um, that, so, okay. So there's this overwhelming, but so many other times in my life, like I do not want to be overwhelmed by my emotions. It is actually detrimental to me and what I am trying to do uh, because they like, you know, they're knocking on the door and I go, Oh, sure. Come on in. Here's the keys. When they're not the, yeah. they're not, they're not showing up to be the drivers. They're just like, you know, they're just a, maybe a, a sign on the side of the road. They're right there. There's some, some extra information in the travel guide. Um, exactly. When we, if, if, if someone, heck me, um, even when, if we have this, we've had this experience of our emotions coming in and we're kind of giving them control when we look back on it now, probably when we shouldn't, um, we're, mi- we're giving them a different role than, than they're asking for. What are, what are some, uh, what can we do about that? What is a, like a helpful, practical, you know, like beginner step to move towards that right relationship? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think, um, before uh, you get to maybe a practical tool or two, the first step I think is just acknowledging that all of us come into conversations about money with uh with an experience and with a background right so all of us were raised in a home where money was dealt with one way or another and for some of us that was really open it was honest it was fairly um clear and direct uh whether our parents had a ton of money or no money money can be dealt with in a healthy way in Mm -hmm. either situation or everything in between and similarly someone who has a ton of money or no money money can be handled really in an unhealthy emotional way uh, in, in any one of those kind of strata of finance, I guess. So it's helpful to acknowledge where we've come from. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that I just get to blame my parents for all my problems. That's not the way it works, but it is helpful to give ourselves a little bit of mercy and say, all right, if I'm having an emotional response to this financial conversation that is 10 times stronger than it should be based on the content alone, mm-hmm. there may be more going on here than just my own experiences in the moment. I'm probably bringing some baggage with me from previous relationships, from my family of origin, um, from things that have happened to me along the way. So the first thing is just a decent amount of mercy and grace that we give ourselves, that we don't beat ourselves up for feeling a certain way, you know, Mm -hmm. um, punishing ourselves for having emotions. And the second thing is, um, I, I guess the more practical thing is to take tangible steps to actually look our emotions in the eye and just, it sounds weird and it sounds a little new agey and I promise it's not, <laughs> to just tell our emotions that we hear them, right? Hmm. Um, McKenna and I have seven children, which means we have a ton of toddlers 
the culture of our home is like a toddler culture sometimes, which means that <laughs> sometimes I act like a toddler because I'm not responding to them the way that I should, you know. But um, the the four o'clock hour at our home is like the most purgatorial hour possible because they they've gotten up from naps if they did nap. Uh, they have had their snack already, but they're still hungry and uh-huh. dinner is not ready yet. So those two things are a major problem in their lives. And they will just constantly keep coming into the kitchen over and over again, whining, whining, begging, screaming, kicking for a graham cracker or goldfish or like uh-huh. anything but a healthy vegetable, right? Just <laughs> give me a carb to fill my stomach because I'm hungry. And the things that we have found through much uh, failure with our children that are not helpful are a dismissing them and just kicking them out of the kitchen, go play, go to the basement. Mm-hmm. And, um, invariably they come back 30 seconds later, right? And they have the same problem and now they're just louder about it. The other thing that doesn't help is if I just give them the box of graham crackers Mm. and say, do whatever you want, that's fine. I don't care what you eat. I don't care where you go. Just take what you want. As long as you don't yell at me anymore, you can have whatever you want, right? Kind of like (laughs) that, like negotiating with the terrorists, just like give them whatever they want (laughs) is a bad strategy, you know? Uh, What is more effective with our toddlers is getting down on their level, looking them in the eye, using our emotions to start to try to regulate their emotions, kind of modeling the type of emotional stance we want them to have and saying like, listen, sweetie, I know you're hungry. I'm hungry too. Uh, The the graham crackers are not going to be helpful for your body to do the work that it needs to play and to be healthy. We're going to have healthy food for you in 10 minutes. And maybe I'll set the timer on the oven for 10 minutes so they can see it, you know? Um, and as soon as those 10 minutes are up, I promise you dinner's going to be ready and I'm going to sit with you. It's going to be good. It doesn't always solve every problem, of course, because some of these kids are three, four years old, but they always respond better than Mm -hmm. one of those two extremes. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the metaphor with our emotions is when I feel those emotions start to come up in me, when I feel, um, frustrated, which is an angry feeling when I feel exhausted, which is a sad feeling. Um, can I take a moment to just sit with that for a second and look at my emotions directly? Um, not to diminish them and say, I don't have time for that. You're really inconvenient right now. I've got 15 things to do and you're not one of them. Go away. Also not to give our emotions carte blanche and to say, I'll do whatever you want. Just tell me what to do and I'll do whatever the sadness tells me to do. No, no. To, mm-hmm. to look our emotions in the eye and maybe even pay attention to our bodies. You know, this is one of the strategies that in mental health uh, people use is using our bodies to regulate our minds, kind of a bottom-up approach of taking deep breaths, paying attention to the way my muscles feel. Like if I'm all scrunched up and my shoulders are tense, that may be an experience of anger or fear mm-hmm. for me. So paying attention to that and looking at our emotions and saying to them, like, I hear you. I, I know that you're scared about money. I know that you're worried that this investment is going to fall apart and you're going to lose 50% of your earnings. I know that it feels like if you keep going down this road with your job or with um, staying home with the kids and not working, that everything's going to fall apart and it's going to be a disaster. I see you. I know why you're sad. And there's probably truth that is more true than the emotion in that moment, you know? And what tends to happen is just like our toddlers, our emotions tend to just, they tend to settle down a little bit when they feel like they've been heard. Hmm. Um, 
So that that practical step can actually solve a lot of problems, both in not allowing our emotions to take over, but also allowing ourselves to come back to a more rational frame of mind where we can have conversations that are informed by our feelings and not conversations that are driven by our feeling. That I can tell mm-hmm. Kenna about my sadness and not speak to her out of my sadness, right? Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I like some of the... Uh... The examples that you used with the feelings of, you know, this investment, I could lose all this money, or what? how are we going to provide, you know, how are we going to do this if, if one of us is staying home, all that stuff. And some of those, right, it's, there can be, oh, yeah, how, it, it can, it could cause you to pull back and to not do the thing, or you guys go, you know what? I think it'll be fine. I don't know how realistic that is, that outcome. Or if it does happen, we could do this other thing. So we're going to keep going, right? Like you said earlier, right? When we look at that wheel, it's not that there are three good ones and three bad ones. There aren't. It's not that this half of the wheel we ignore or we try to talk down so we don't have to deal with it. There mm-hmm. are very legitimate times when fear or sadness um any of the emotions like should be listened to right like uh-huh. if you're to, if you're driving the car like you should probably listen to the bridge out 500 feet sign you need to listen exactly. to that one. it's gonna go real bad exactly um how do we how, how would you say that we evaluate those those emotions right we we of course we've gotten them down to like a sensible level right they're not screaming at us anymore but they're hey just you know but by the way, have you considered blah, 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 blah. Once they're at that spot, how can we interact with them uh, in, a, in a healthy in way that actually informs us and brings How do we, I guess the question is, how do we use our emotions as part of our discernment in making some of these decisions? Right. Yeah, there's a, a lot that, Aquinas has done um, centuries ago about the the faculties of the human person, the things that make us human and differentiate us from animals. That as smart as an animal is, the smartest chimp or dolphin in the world doesn't have the intelligence that a human being has. You know, um, a, a dog can choose. If you lay out three different types of dog food, the dog will choose probably one of those first. But a dog doesn't have free will like you and I do, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That there are things about our spiritual reality that are part of us because we are made in the image and likeness of God. So there are faculties that we share with God out of his goodness. And um, the three that are most fitting for this conversation, this question that you asked, are are emotions, our intellect, and our will, these three Mm -hmm. things. And again, emotions do have a physical component. They're, of course, tied to chemicals and hormones and things like that. But emotions are not merely physical, just like human beings are not merely physical, right? So once we've listened to our emotions and they've they've given permission to be heard, and also they know that they're not going to be shut down or destroyed, then they tend to find the right place in our being, which is information for us. And what that means is our intellect can see those emotions for the information that they are, and they can take them into account. They can factor them into a discernment process. So mm-hmm. my intellect in any process is going to factor in a lot of different things. It's going to factor in my emotions. 
It's going to take in the information of church teaching. It's going to take in the information of my state in life and the responsibilities that I have as a husband and a father. It's going to take in my values and my beliefs. And all of that, plus about a hundred other things, is going to get thrown into this big pot. And I'm going to take that to prayer, right? The, the nature of any kind of discernment through any person of faith is always in the context of prayer. Um, and it's going to look different. You know, my discernment to Mary Kenna was a long, drawn out process because the consequences were very important for both of us about whether we were called to marriage or not. My discernment about what to make for dinner on a Tuesday night does not need to be this long, drawn out thing. But <laughs> there is an element of prayer, as strange as that sounds. Like, I want to give my kids good, healthy food and I want to teach them to relate to food in a way that's healthy for them down the road, right? So I want to provide good things for them. All of that in a financial way, I take in the emotions, I take in our bank account statements, I take in uh, our financial priorities, what I what I know I want, what we've discussed as a, as a couple. And then I get to use that information to make a choice with my will. I get to do something. I get to use this free will that's informed and guided by my intellect. So the way that, that we'll put it a lot of times with groups and with individuals is... Um, putting my I over my E to engage the W. So my intellect is over my, or excuse me, yes, my intellect is over my E, my emotions, in order to engage the W. So I'm going to listen to my emotions. They're not going to take over the whole show, mm -hmm. but they're good information. My intellect is going to take my emotions into account, along with all the other things that I'm discerning with, and then I'm going to activate my will. I'm going to make a good, willful, God-willing, holy choice based on all this information that's get, that's been um, brought into my intellect. So if I bypass my intellect and I go straight from emotion to will, I tend to do some pretty destructive things <laughs> for other people or for myself. <laughs> and again, if I don't use my emotions at all, if I merely make an intellectual decision without taking into account all my human faculties, my human experiences... I tend to make sometimes opposite, but also destructive decisions because I'm not considering what other people need or require in my decisions. Um, I'm not considering what this is going to mean for me down the road on a human level if I just act based on stats and data alone. You know, mm -hmm. um, So that intellect over the emotions in order to engage the will, that's a really good kind of step forward from that first level of just listening to my emotions in the first place, giving them a voice. That's fantastic. Yeah, I've seen it. Um, something similar before where it's, it's like, it was like a little stick man and it was, I think, yeah, intellect and then yeah, emotions. And then you've got what appetites and passions and right. You want right. to work from the top, right? As high up as you can get in the who's making the decisions. That's a good thing. Right. Um, right. So right, I think money comes up a lot uh, when we do our, our question and answer sessions, you know, with some of our Waltwin Academy members. Uh, some of some, there's some practical questions, of course. Um, what's the sure. best way to do this? Or how do I save money on that? But many times there's a question asked, but there's really, right, there's another question behind it. That money mm -hmm. question is standing in uh, or as a proxy for some other thing that's going on. Um, I think money has a, a particular um, ability to be um, on the, the top level, right? To be the thing on the surface that then is connected 
down deeper inside of us, right? I think right. that whole feelings wheel, I there's a situation where money is the topic, but it's going to have its root down into each of those core six. Um, right. How do we, I guess, approach and look at money knowing that there it it can be at times this proxy for all these other things, especially when we're maybe in our in our relationship with our family or our spouse. There's a money issue going on, but maybe there's something else going on too. Yeah, yeah. No, you nailed it. I mean, that money is is a a store of value, and and even in financial circles, people would describe it that way sometimes. That that money itself, the idea of money hard money versus soft money, like all of these really interesting kind of uh, in the weeds conversations financially mean that money is a is a store of value. And what we normally mean by that is, well, money is worth things, right? If mm-hmm. I give you any more, if I give you $7, you'll give me a coffee, right? Like that kind of a thing. <laughs> uh, if I give you um, way too much money, you'll give me a college degree, things like that, right? So what we normally mean is is the, in this value in terms of an exchange, right? I think what you're getting at is the much more deep and I would say more important sense that money mm-hmm. is a store of value in terms of what I value, my values, you know, that yeah. if um, it's an extreme example that's entirely made up, so don't be too afraid about me and Kenna's marriage. But uh, if, I, if Kenna and I are in an argument or a conflict over money and I'm saying, I really want to go on this vacation with our family because I think it's good for us. And Ken is saying, but if we go on that vacation, our kids will never go to college because we're going to spend all that money that we've saved. Um, what we're arguing about is money, right? Do we spend it? Do we save it? Is it entertainment? Is it tuition? Really what we're getting down to are some kind of value level things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if one person in a marriage or in a relationship really values family experiences, that it's important to them to build a legacy that their children can fall back on, to give their children the gift of great family memories, right? The cliche of all cliches is the dad who wants to do the road trip across the country because his kids need to see the national parks and this is what we're going to do, right? So that kind of a mentality, like I want to give my kids that gift. That's a really valuable priority, actually. That's a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing. And that's a great gift to give to your children and to your to your family um the other value of wanting to give our children every opportunity for a great education to have as many opportunities in front of them as they desire as they age as they come into young adulthood and eventually into working to give them an experience whether it's on a college campus or somewhere else of learning about the world around them surrounded by people that are also passionate about the same things creating community and knowledge about our world that's another good right so it's not a matter of well you're chintzy well all you just want to have fun and that's all you want to do and you don't want to be serious it's not about that necessarily these are two good things right so is it possible to to get down to the level of value and to say okay listen both of us really do want good things these things maybe are in some cases mutually exclusive. So how can you and I, husband, wife, whoever, you know, who are on the same team, how can we come to a place that we are both comfortable with the level of value or the level of uh, stock that we've put in each of these different values, you know, mm-hmm. and that goes for any conversation about 
taking care of aging parents with our own family finances? Um, how many children uh, that, you know, as Catholics, God will give us the number of children that he desires us to have. And we have full trust in his providence. Thanks be to God. But there are reasonable ways that we can concern ourselves with, you know, spacing of children, things like that. Um, how can we have those conversations and start to work at the habit of getting past the money uh, kind of first level, which, as you mentioned, can be really distracting for us because it's immediate. It's loud. When the bank account dwindles, it's it's that's a that's kind of an urgent thing to pay attention to. But really, all of these money conversations have to do with value. So what what are my concerns about money revealing to me about what I find important? And how can we as a couple, how can we as a group of friends, how can we as a family start to have conversations about what's valuable to us and and then assign money to the different values in order of priority, right? Um, that, that we can put the money in the right buckets now that we have agreed upon what values are actually more important than others in our family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, uh, one of the questions we get most often is how do I get my spouse on the same page with money? How do I, it's the Mm -hmm. husband usually, how do I get my husband to start budgeting? (laughs) How do I get him to watch your videos? All this stuff. And right. What never works. uh, And what didn't work when Amanda tried it with me all those years ago was, you know, just throwing it at him saying, Hey, we're doing this. You don't get to go out with your buddies anymore. Any of that stuff. Right. That doesn't work. Um, or, or the other way around, like, you know, you don't get to go to the store, you, you know, I'm, you can't, you know, have that card in your wallet anymore, no more shoes, whatever it is. Um, yeah, right. What we bring people through is an exercise and it is like almost seems without understanding all those things that you just said, it's almost like, wait, what are we doing? Because the first step to understanding your finances, especially as a couple, is to understand your priorities. And both right. of you like, Okay, if you just start at that level of of where the money's going right now, sure, yeah. you could you could get into a bunch of fights and not get anywhere. But if you get down into well, what do we want for our family? Right? Weighing those good things, like you said, you'll probably find agreement. You'll find yeah. you'll find certainly some things where you go, yes, we want that for us. And right. then it's right. real easy because you've settled it down here. Oh, we want that. Oh, yes. Of course I want, right? We want to go on that that big vacation for our 15th anniversary. So it's right. I want that more than I want to go, you know, watch the game at the bar with the buddies. Like, right. I'll just have them over and we can watch it here because I know right. if I do that, I can put, heck, 50 more bucks towards the trip right now. Um, right. And so when we, it's the, it's getting on that, that same page that is so helpful. And when we go a little bit deeper, maybe that's, that's like the theme of this episode. (laughs) You go a little bit deeper, you actually can get to the real stuff. Um, which is, uh, it's, I mean, it's one of the reasons why we, why we started Waltman, right? It money touches so many things. It is, it stands in, um, for so many other values, priorities, and, if we handle the practicals well, if we're better at handling our money, then we can more fully put it towards those those priorities that we have, right? I can know all my priorities right. perfectly, know who's what's more important than what, all that stuff. But then if I'm not careful with handling my money, well, how well can I live those out? 
So right, it's it's right. the it's the it's the both. You need both, right? You need careful consideration of the practicals of your finances and a deep understanding of what you want to be doing, what the Lord is asking you and your family to do, so that you can say yes to it. Um, What's interesting about that is there's there there's some stats actually that you you kind of brought out anecdotally that hmm. um, typically females would say that they are more stressed about finances than males. And there are probably a lot of reasons for that, but mm-hmm. what that boils down to in a couple is if one of them is going to be the one that is stressed about money and about talking about it, it's probably going to be the wife, uh-huh. which again is a huge stereotype. And there are a million cases where that's not true, but, uh, but a little bit more than uh, 50%, that would be true. And it's also true that if one of the two is comfortable talking about things on that deeper level, on the level of emotion and value, it's probably not going to be the guy. <laughs> Again, stereotyping. <laughs> okay. There are a million exceptions, but that is certainly true for me, and I think it is true for a lot of guys. So that's the first thing. And the second thing that I think you you pulled out is is um, really it has incredibly practical consequences. You know, like. Um, a, a lot of the conflict that especially in marriages that people get into around money are very practical things like uh, and, and a lot of it has to do with when money is perceived as a store of value of power specifically mm-hmm. or of uh, perceived freedom. So like if if mm-hmm. one spouse makes a lot more than the other, um, if one spouse works and the other one works at home raising the children so they have the only paycheck coming into the family. If one spouse is out of work right now and wants to work but isn't right now, mm-hmm. there are a million conversations that can start with the words, well, listen, I make more money than you, mm. so I should have voting the voting majority in these conversations, mm. right? Which on a level of human justice is true. That's you know, that that's the way that the world would look at that kind of an inequality. But when we're talking about marriages, especially based on faith. This is not merely human justice we're taking into account. There's divine justice here. And divine, ju- so human justice says, uh, what do you deserve based on what you've done? That's why we yeah. call it the criminal justice system, right? It's based on actions, behavior. Divine justice says, what do you deserve because of who you are? Hmm. Because of who you belong to, which is ultimately God the Father. So, you know, for Kenna, she belongs to God first. She belongs to me second because I have the honor of being her husband. So if I made more money than her, which I never have in my entire life because I'm a youth minister, um, I guess I did for a while when she was in ministry as well. But still, if I made more money than her, my first reaction can't be, therefore, I get to decide the values of our family mm-hmm. and the way that we express those values and money. My, my reaction has to be, because you are my bride, and for no other reason than that, you deserve an equal voice in this conversation. And mm-hmm. when, when you get past that level of money and you get down to the values, like like you and Amanda said, you start off, what are your priorities? Um, getting down to that level first, everyone has an equal approach to the priorities of the family. Everyone ought to have an equal voice in the values of the family. And if money is just the way that we express those values then it takes the pressure off the money itself and we can have a healthy conversation about the way that we're going to build this family. You know, that that's the, it can't be overstated how important that conversation is. Whether you've been, whether you're in marriage prep, if you've been married for two years, if you're married for 40 years, returning to that value level can really give 
money the right place in a relationship. Bingo, bingo, man. That's fantastic. Um, Pat, I have loved our conversation. Um, I know all, you know, our, our listeners, our, our viewers, uh, I'm sure ha- will, but if they're hearing this, then they have whichever one, uh, whichever tense it is. I'm, I'm sure they're big fans. Um, if they want to hear more, uh, tell us more about, uh, the whole life podcast and what, and how they can find that and the Martin center. Yeah, absolutely. So you can, um, check out this whole life on any podcast player out there in the world. And you, uh, can visit the website at this whole life podcast.com. Uh, you can check us out on Instagram at this whole life podcast. And then the Martin center for integration, the broader organization, you can check us out at Martin center for integration.com all spelled out. Uh, Google it if it gets confusing and, uh, we look forward to hearing from you. You can send us a note, uh, send us a a message on Instagram and uh, check out the podcast if you have time. Of course. And all of those links, if you don't want to type all that out, are available in the show notes, the video description. Pat Malay, thank you so much for coming on the Catholic Money Show. It's been a real blessing. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, buddy. Thanks for joining us today. You can learn more about this show and the Wallowin program at wallowin.com. Music in this episode is from Dylan Gardner. Listen to his new album, Almost Real, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your music. See you next week. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.